You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. And I'm your host, Jim Friend. Well, welcome back, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. I hope your Lent is going well and that you're finding some time for your own spiritual journey during the season. You know, I was reading this week about St. Joseph, and again, we're in the year of St. Joseph, and one of his titles is Zealous Defender of Christ. That's quite an awesome title, isn't it? You know, just the title alone made me reflect on my own faith and how sometimes I might not be a zealous defender of Christ like I should be. The thing about St. Joseph is that he always defended his son Jesus from any threat. And the thing I'm learning about our spiritual father is that he will defend us. If he is our spiritual father, then we have another spiritual guardian who is there to protect us. You know, like most of us, I didn't understand what it meant to have that fatherly instinct until I became a father. And those of you who are mothers and fathers, you know that there is nothing that you would not do to protect your children. Well, St. Joseph has that same zeal to protect us, and he can increase our zeal to defend Christ in this world. You know, it's not always the popular thing to defend Christ, especially in a world that is increasingly unfriendly to Christian morals and ideals. In this season of Lent, we need to pray for help, pray for the strength that St. Joseph had to rise to the call of being the adopted father of Christ and the zealous defender of the Savior of our world. May we always find that same courage, that same zeal that St. Joseph had for his son. Now, let's get to work. Our guest today is Conde de Leon, the Executive Director of the Office of Mission Advancement for the Diocese of Phoenix. This is Conde's second time on Advancing Our Church. Just a little over a year ago, I visited Conde and his teammates in Phoenix back on episode 49, if you'd like to go back and listen. I invited Conde to come back on the show because he just published a new book called Heart of the Mission, Simple Ways to Bring People to Jesus. In the book, Conde focuses on three transformational principles for ministry and for life. They include strengthening relationships, boldly growing engagement, and connecting people to the mission. I read the book, and I have to tell you, it's excellent. Conde tells stories from his life that are relatable and engaging, and I strongly encourage you to pick up a copy of this book. Conde and I Zoom today's conversation, and so if you'd like to see the full video, I encourage you to visit our website at advancingourchurch.com. And if this is your first time visiting our podcast, stick around and subscribe. Our year here at Advancing Our Church is just getting started. But now, without further ado, let's get into today's episode and delve into the heart of the mission with Conde de Leon. Well, Conde, welcome back to Advancing Our Church. It's good to see you again. It's good to see you, Jim. Glad to be here. Congratulations on your new book here, the the heart of the mission. I, uh, you know, we were talking right before we started recording here, but I have really enjoyed your book thoroughly. I, all the stories are so relatable, from your childhood through your marriage and with kids and all. It's just, it's been great. I, I hope you're getting a great response to it. We are, thank God. You know, um, when you set out on a project like this, Jim, you don't know really what you're walking into or um, whether or how it will be received. And so thank God the reception from it has been very good. I'm very grateful for that, that you always hope for the best. And then you just put it out there, put it in God's hands and whatever happens, happens. But you know, I am human, Jim. And so I am thinking like, okay, um, I I hope, (laughs) hope, 
and you don't know because it's no. like it, it, because you just don't know. And and you know, Jim, you're in well, you're in fundraising, so you know this. We're numbers people, like so right. we can see things and we can measure things. And oftentimes, there's not really a lot you can do that, especially when you put something out. And so, I mean, mm-hmm. eventually you can, but I mean, at the very beginning, it's yeah, it's just hard. So when it, when, it, when it's all in your head and you got to get it out on paper and kind of outline, it. yeah, I, I haven't had the joy of going through that process, but I hope to at some point. But this was uh, it was very inspiring. What inspired you to write the book? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, in all honesty, what really inspired me was my kids. I, I guess I was just thinking one day. So I was, you know, I'm a part of the Revive program. Um, yes, and with the Revive leaders and. And, you know, Dan Rogers called me up and asked me to do a class and I did. And when I got back, I remember thinking, man, I got a lot of content in my head. Like I never realized how much, like you just take for granted your experience and your work and what you do. And I had all this stuff in my head. So initially I was like, how do I capture this and put this together and like, like write it down. And I remember thinking, why would I, if I'm going to take the time to put down some of the experiences that I've had. I mean, how is that going to be beneficial to the people that I love and that are closest to me or that have known me? And I thought to myself, you know, ultimately, everything we do is for an encounter with Christ. It's to help build up the kingdom of God. And then one day, I'll never forget, I was thinking, and I said, you know, I don't think my kids know the actual moment I came into a personal relationship with Jesus. I've given this witness to hundreds, maybe thousands of people. I'm sure of thousands of people because hundreds of people over over years, and and I haven't given that exact witness to my kids. So I started thinking, how can I do something that I can leave for my kids, but can also help my my friends, my colleagues, um, the people that I serve, and the pastors, like really the pastors, is what I was thinking about. And how do I make it relatable? So that's what I did. So it was like, if my kids, if I were to die, at least my kids will know what was going on in in my brain and in my head. I mean, some of the stories they've heard before, but like some that they hadn't, you know, one of the stories I I have in there about a car, they were like, dad, did this really happen? And I'm like, (laughs) really happened. I love the story about the car, you know, but that moment of conversion, December 1st, 2006 at 2 a.m. Why don't you tell our listeners about that? So December 1st, 2006, I was 30 years old. Um, I'd been 30. I turned 30 in September and my wife and I had started our own company. And it was the day before my company was about to um, just go off. And we were, I was going to do consulting and help small business owners like my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. So um, I, so I, we'd planned out this for like a year. And I remember I woke up and I think I had a little bit of insomnia. I remember looking and the light was on in my closet. I don't know why. I just had this overwhelming desire to go to my closet because it's where we kept all our books. And there's a book called The Richest Man That Ever Lived. And it was about King Solomon. And my dad had given me this book. So I got up because I couldn't sleep. And I went to the closet. I went looking through all my books. And I've got a closet with, I mean, I'm talking about Rosemary used to just tell me, you're going to get rid of them. Okay. <laughs> We all have those closets. Yeah. (laughs) One of those. Yes. Right. (laughs) So I went through it and I went looking and looking and looking and, and then I couldn't find it. And so I was like, well, I know I had this. And I said, well, you know, I know that the richest man that ever lived. um, And it was about Proverbs about King Solomon. And I know that I knew enough about the Bible to know that King Solomon had written the book of Proverbs, or at least it's attributed to him. So I said, I know I have a Bible in here somewhere. So Mm -hmm. I went and I found a Bible that my wife had given me on our very first um, Valentine's Day. Okay. And I remember Valentine's Day, I had taken her out like 
24 years ago and I was in the Marines. And so I, I just had, a, I was going on this date with this very attractive woman that somehow I had convinced to go out with me and she must have <laughs> felt sorry for me or something. But I remember I had gotten her a gift and then she goes, oh, I got you a gift too. And I'm like, oh, what did you get me? And so I opened up the bag and it's a Bible. And I'm like, who gets somebody a Bible? I, I kind of threw it to the back of the, the truck. I never opened it. I never looked at it. And in fact, I never even thought about it. I just kept it. And then that day I, I opened it and it says, it says something in there like to Condi de Leon, I hope you find what you're looking for. Um, I love you always or something. And, and Rosemary Mirales, her last name. And I had never seen that. Like she gave that to me and I'd never known that she gave that to me. I never knew she wrote that to me. I remember she told me, if you ever read the Bible, you have to pray for wisdom. So I did. I was at my kitchen table and I just said, you know, I asked the God for wisdom. And then you, I opened it up to Proverbs to read because I wanted to read the book about the richest man that ever lived. And it starts off in, in verse one about fools despise wisdom. And I re- remembered because they do not fear the Lord. Yes. And I remembered that I was the fool because I did not fear the Lord. Mm. And my whole life changed after that because I started reading Proverbs nonstop all that night. I got through and started reading the New Testament. And then while well, all this time, this is, by the way, as I'm going back to the beginning of the story, that was supposed to be the first day of my new business, mm. but I had no desire to like really do my business. Right. And I was scared too. I was scared. I'm not going to, I mean, I was terrified. Sure. And I didn't know what to do really, but all I knew was I wanted to keep reading. So I guess within a week or two, I read all of the New Testament and then started on the Old Testament and it just became alive for me. So mm-hmm. that's, that's it. It's yeah. chapter one of Proverbs. And I think it's verse uh, six through eight, if I remember correctly. Right. But, um, but wisdom begins with fear of the Lord and fools, and fools despise understanding. So. Well, I, I think, uh, I mean, that's words for all of us to, to live by. And certainly, I mean, obviously, but I mean, more than that, it is the beginning of wisdom to understand the nature of God and, and who he is in our life. And, um, the power that he has to to love us and and to be such a significant to play such a significant role in, in the guiding force. So quite an aha moment to have at two a.m. on a on a Tuesday or whatever it was. You know, incredible. <laughs> yeah, because I think I think it was a first Friday actually, and I didn't okay. even understand the significance yeah. of a first Friday. To be quite yeah. honest with you, mm-hmm. I didn't learn that until another two years, and I and and that's a whole nother story for yeah. for another time. But sure. One of the things I learned about you and uh, your family as I read the book was that uh, Rosemary's chicken tacos are to die for, right? <laughs> so <They're good. laughs> just so, uh, next time I come visit my parents in Phoenix, I'm going to have to give you a call and see if it's taco night. Uh, <laughs> well, well, Jim, that would actually give me a good excuse to get Rosemary to make some more tacos. <laughs> She's been slacking lately. She's been slacking. She says that she says this whole job thing has been, like got her tired. <laughs> oh. Silly job thing, right? Silly right. job thing. Just because you work all day doesn't mean you can't make chicken tacos. Right, exactly. I'm sure there are a lot of work. But, Hopefully she um, never hears me say that. <laughs> One of the things I liked about that section of the book is you talk about marrying your talents with your passion to kind of help you find your purpose in life. At our age, as we think about that, you know, that we look back on our life, think, well, yeah, absolutely, that makes sense. But I think for so many young people, 
I know for like my, you know, my kids included trying to figure out the right path. What do I do with my life? What am I interested in? It's such a great message for young people, especially if when you marry that with the gospel message and the, and the plan that God has for each of us. You know, tell us a little bit about that. So there was uh, just, just that, that experience of kind of finding your own path. You know, the book is broken into two parts. The first part is about our identity in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it goes into our own purposes and the talents and gifts that God has given us. And then the third part is our, our not part, but the third chapter, and that is is our place in the mission. Like, where are we? So the second part, like the principles of relationships and engagement and connect people, they can work completely on their own. They can stand alone. They can work. But that's not really what they're intended to do. We have to know why we're here. We have to. And we are a child of God. We are loved by God. And we were built, as the, catech- as the catechism says, to, um, to we were made to love God and to serve God. That's easier said than done, you know? <laughs> like, how do you put that into practicality? Right. I think, I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with, myself included, is like, where is my place? And right. I, I don't know that that's an easy question for most people. I think it's a very hard question. And I think for some people, it takes their whole life to figure it out. And the earlier we can figure it out, the better, but it's really right in front of us. I mean, what do we love to do? Mm-hmm. What is it that we're good at that nobody else can do? I talked about it being like a, like a thumbprint, you know, your thumbprint is totally unique, but so are your talents and your gifts. And you can say, well, kind of, you know, let's say you're a singer. It's like, oh, but other people can sing too, or other people can write too, or other people can play the piano well too. Yeah. But they can't do it like you. Well, yeah. but they're better than me. Yeah, they might be, but they can't play it to people that you can play it to. They can't do it like the way you do it. It's so unique, but we have to believe that. Like we can't just, we can't tell ourselves that we have to really and truly believe that everything about us is completely unique. And it was given to us as a gift from God. We're called to use that to serve others. My dad used to tell me something, and I don't think I wrote this in the book, but he used to say this. He said, he said, do what you love. He said, what you have to do is you have to ask yourself, what would I do for free for the rest of my life? And that's the direction you need to go if you don't know what to go. So, I mean, I think that's a good starting place for a lot of people. And, you know, I was, I remember writing, I was like, man, maybe we should have put a disclaimer because somebody's going to quit their job and be and like, it's all not going to work. <laughs> you get <laughs> sued, right? <laughs> he told me to quit my job. But <laughs> yeah. I, I once had a boss who said, um, what, and he always used this in an interview question. He said, what can you do all day, every day, and never get tired of it? And while even the things that we love, we sometimes can get tired of them. But I think that the essence of the question is really good. What is it that you just can you get up in the morning? I say, I say this to my kids because I've always been pretty fortunate to have jobs that I was excited about, that I felt mission driven, whether it was a youth minister or a, a director of development for the diocese or whatever it was. I, I've always been blessed that way. And I said, you know, not that you have to choose a ministry or that you have to choose a career in the church. And I don't expect any of them to, to choose that. But whenever you get up in the morning, you want to be excited to get to work. You want to be excited about the work that you do. And you want it to bring credit not only to your your good name, but you want it to bring credit to God and, and to the world, right? Exactly. And life is too short not to. I yeah. mean, you know, and, and I think what happens is sometimes we can feel trapped mm-hmm. for a lot of ways. And I was just talking to somebody about this the other day, but you know, when I was in the Marine Corps and my wife and I were married and she, and I mean, we're, we got married very young, Jim, she was 20. I was 20. We had our first um, baby um, when we had just turned 21 when we had our first child. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember when I got out of the Marines, I didn't like, what am I going to do? 
And it was terrifying. And so I went into survival mode. I think I spoke a little bit about that, but I, I, I had a responsibility to financially provide for my wife and for my child. So it was like, do whatever you can do so that you can put a bandaid on it and just get by. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's okay, but pretty soon you're five years into it. You're seven yes. years into it. Right. And, yeah. th- and then you're looking at yourself and you're you're frustrated. And 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 then it can affect your relationship with your kids. It can re- affect your relationship with your wife. It can affect your relationship with yourself. It can affect your relationship with God. Um, so it's like um I remember hearing people all the time growing up in my 20s is really probably when I started paying attention to it. And they would say, I hate my job. I hate my job. And I remember asking, well, then why are you there? Well, I didn't understand that until I was that person in there. And it wasn't that I hated my job, but it was like, I knew that that's not where I was supposed to be. The practical side is how do you get out of that? And I think that that's where I mentioned in the book, I talk about trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, acknowledge him and all that you do. And he will direct your path. It's mm-hmm. funny because that's in Proverbs chapter three, five through six. Mm-hmm. And I remember that, even though that's not what I remembered at the time, I remember the first part. Now I can't even quote the scripture to you. I, <laughs> I always go back and I look at it and memorize it. And then I forget it, forget it. But I just, yeah, so I didn't fear the Lord. I didn't fear the Lord. Ultimately what God was telling me was I don't trust him. Hmm. At the time when I read fear the Lord, I thought I have to be scared of him. Now I learned that fear the Lord means that I respect him, that I honor him, that he's a part of my life. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand that. And you talk about in the book, we're meant to be relational. Our relationship with God is is at the, at the heart of all that, right? You know, he made us to be relational beings with each other and, and certainly with him, not like, like you say, not just about the fear of God, but the respect, the admiration, the dialogue, the ongoing prayer, how often, and I said this, keep talking about my kids, but, you know, talk to my kids about how often they might say, they might say, well, I'm, I'm challenged with this, with the Catholic church dad, or I'm questioning that. And, and that's okay. You know, they're, they're at that age when, you know, we we're all young adults and we question, but when you bring those concerns to God and you have that conversation with him, that's the relationship that will help you get through those questions. Because, you know, at the end of our lives, we want to meet our God having had that relationship with him. We want him to know us and we want to know him. Jim, you articulated that perfectly. And I'm so glad you brought that up about having that conversation with your child. Mm. A week ago today, last Friday, I was sitting down at the table in the evening and my 12-year-old was asking me about a very controversial subject within the church. Mm. Um, It's not controversial, but I mean, in the secular world it is. And she was telling me that she had some real problems agreeing with the church's stance on this. And so we were talking about this. And I remember asking her, I was like, I remember asking her about what do you think God is calling you to do? And she goes, well, that's the thing is I don't think I agree with what God is saying. And I said, (laughs) so if the person down the road told you they had an opinion on something, what would you say? Mm -hmm. And she goes, who? And I said, I don't know somebody down the road, like 10 houses down. And they just came out. She goes, I wouldn't care. Right. And I said, why wouldn't you care? She goes, because I don't know them. And I said, exactly. The fact that you disagree with God, the fact that you're thinking about that shows that you have a relationship with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it wouldn't even matter. Why would you even think about it? Right. And so that's not a bad thing. That's a starting place. And you just have to invite him to help show you the right way. It's okay mm-hmm. to disagree. It is. It, 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 I said the 
<laughs> we seem we, we went to the same school of fatherhood. Um, <laughs> because I said to my oldest, I said, I'm actually glad that you're a little troubled about this, hun. Yeah. Because it means that you care about your relationship with God and your religion means something to you. And you're trying to reconcile that. And you're looking for answers. I think God's going to do something special with that. You just have to keep turning to him and keep seeking. Don't stop asking those questions. So exactly. And as as their dad, you know, when when you have kids in their late twenties or late teens rather, early twenties, like we're not always the ones they're gonna come to for those answers. So I also pray every day that God, you know, puts the right people in their lives. It helps helps them along that journey, you know, not turn exactly. away from it. Speaking of journey, there was one part in, in your um in your book that made me laugh a little bit when you were when you were young and the I guess you were in second grade and your your little sister was getting picked on and your father's reaction when he asked you, did you know about your the fact that your little sister is getting picked on? And you said no. And he said, why didn't you know? <laughs> I, I laughed out loud. As a protective father, I probably would have said the same thing. She's your sister. <laughs> but yeah. you, 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 you say in the book that you learned something at that moment about this idea of selflessness and, uh, and looking out for your family. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, I guess, you know, when you're a kid, you just don't think about anything else but what's in front of you at that very moment. And you were so good about living in the moment. Mm -hmm. We're so bad about kind of really philosophically thinking and thinking outside the box, but the whole yeah. world revolves around us. The universe revolves around us. Sure. For some of us, we will never outgrow that. We, that will always stay in that place. Mm -hmm. But I think that hopefully through our lives, we learn that the world doesn't revolve around us. And I remember at that moment with my dad, I remember how angry he was. And it's funny because after the book um, was published and I sent it to my dad and my mom, my dad asked him, said, dad, do you remember that moment? He goes, I remember that exact conversation. <laughs> of course. I was like, do you really dad? Like I remembered it, but I didn't know if you would. He goes, no, I totally remembered it. My mom didn't remember it, but my dad did. He remembered that moment. Yeah. But this idea that, you know, that we have to care about other people. Mm -hmm. even at the expense of ourselves sometimes. Sure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I think that that's, I think there was a scripture that I related to it, that, that God talks to us about our brothers and sisters. And if we can't understand that, if we can't understand the connection with others. Mm -hmm. And it's not like we can check all the boxes and say, well, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, you know, break the first, second, third, fourth, fifth. I got through all 10 of them, Lord. I'm in there. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's much more than that. And I think that's what Jesus did is he totally challenges. And I think there, there's even a, there's a scripture where a man goes and says, oh, well, you've done all right. You've done good. But now go sell everything. And <laughs> right. <laughs> like, wait a second. Follow wait. me. Right. I think that that's what it really taught me about. But again, I, I didn't know that lesson as a kid. I mean, even, even at that moment, I knew that I had to stick up for her. And, and what I didn't write in the book was I, I did take that lesson to heart and I did stick up for her. I ended up getting beat up pretty bad. Not during that instance, but yeah. like a few years later, I got beat up very bad, uh, mm -hmm. badly for it. But you know what? It didn't occur to me till I was older that I realized that this wasn't about me and my sister. This was about teaching me about other people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we change our lives and we start thinking about how we're connected with other people mm -hmm. and how um, we're here to love them and serve them and mm -hmm. to take care of them because they're children of God, too. Mm -hmm everything changes, like right. everything changes. And then we get the, we get the pleasure, Jim, you and I, like we were talking about to, to try to teach this to our kids. Yeah. 
And we get to watch them go through the same struggles and the experiences and they don't understand all of it because they haven't, they're still in the forest and they just see trees. They haven't gotten outside to see the forest yet. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. But you know, it's funny, you know, you, you get mixed opinions as, as we go through life and well, you know, is, is anger a good thing or is anger a bad thing? And I like that your dad got angry because you remembered it. I mean, there are times with my own kids and with my own father when his anger was like a wake-up call. And it wasn't a violent anger. It wasn't, you know, anybody getting spanked. Or We're not talking about that. We're just talking about it was his passion for his family, for his daughter, and also that you, his son, that he instilled in you that selflessness and that connection and that understanding how important family was. So I, I, th I think it's a great story from a lot of different angles. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's that great. That's great. <laughs> Sometimes I told my kids, you know, when they were little, and I'd say, okay, it's time to get ready, and nobody would move. Okay, we need to get moving, nobody would move. And then I would start to elevate my voice. Well, it wasn't because I was anger, angry. It was because it was getting their attention. <laughs> you know? yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> you know, you talk a lot uh, towards the latter half of the book. You're talking about connecting people with the mission through storytelling, through meeting people where they are, through sharing the gospel. And I was reflecting a little bit on that last part because you, you talked about sometimes people are uncomfortable with sharing the gospel. And I think maybe if somebody's reading your book or listening to this podcast who might not be working in the church world like you and I do, but maybe uh, in a corporate setting or in their everyday life or you know with a neighbor, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think people do struggle with bringing Christ uh, or bringing religion into re everyday regular conversation and sharing the message of Christ today. I guess that we working in the church are somewhat in a bubble. When you work somewhere and there's a crucifix and there's the right. blessed mother and the scripture, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of easy just to have a conversation about it. But when you're with a group of maybe when you're with high school buddies and stuff, listen, it took me, I mean, this is after I came into a relationship with the Lord. This is after I knew he was my king. He was my savior. Mm -hmm. And I still was very nervous about like what people would think about me that I grew up with because they're going mm -hmm. like, I, I had the ongoing joke that's saying, Kande, you work for the church. Please tell me you don't work with money at all. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, well, I do raise it. No, 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 please don't tell me that you raise money. Please don't tell me. <laughs> um, so, so, I mean, but, but I think that that's where most Catholics and Christians are, Jim. I really sure. think they are. It's like, you know, we, we talk about the kerygma. We have to be able to proclaim the kerygma. Well, it's true. We have to know the kerygma. But the reality is, is that most of us aren't going to be able to proclaim the kerygma to somebody a confident and articulate way. Sure. When we ourselves struggle with some of the theology, and not struggle with the theology, but but struggle with the answers to some of the theological questions that could come forth from that, yeah. and then it's all of a sudden we might be hurting the person because it looks like we don't know what we're talking about. And if we don't know what we're talking about, how in the world are they supposed to know what they're talking about or even trust us or believe us? It's so true. It's like yeah. it's like there becomes a lack of confidence. Well. The only way around that is if you have an, a, a personal relationship with Jesus, assuming that you do, if you don't, then go back to the, I would say, go back to the chapter two or three, where I talk about, right. about the personal relationship, because you have to start there. Yeah. But then we can talk about our relationship with Christ and what he's done for us right. specifically. I, I wrote that. I rewrote the very last chapter time after time after time. I mean, I think I rewrote it several times because- really? 
I struggled, Jim, with some of the things that I said with regard, like, how confident am I in going out and proclaiming the gospel? And how many people did I actually, like, how, if I were, again, you and I are numbers guys, and we can actually say um, with certainty, okay, well, we've raised X amount of dollars. We have this much participation. Like, yeah. we, we are numbers. We understand how we do. financial statements. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if we say, how many people did you actually bring to the Lord? Right. I think most people can't give an exact answer. At the end of the day, I think our job is not to give a um, an accounting of here's here's the list, but what was our effort and sincerity and how did we affect the people around us, the people that are closest to us, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be our wife, our husband, our kids, our mom or dad or brothers and sisters, because those are the relationships that we have every day. And how, do, how about we start there? And mm-hmm. so I, I would just say that to anybody listening to this, that... Um, is asking like, how do I go about and share the good news? I would just say, be yourself, mm-hmm. just be yourself. And, and if that's hard, then there's some questions you probably need to ask is why aren't you comfortable in your own skin? Mm-hmm. So it's not so much like, well, I'm just scared to talk about Jesus. I, I think it's actually something before that, mm-hmm. because what is your comfort level with you and right. and then your relationship with Jesus and, and how, and why wouldn't we talk about that? I mean, yeah. I'll talk about my mom to anybody, you know, my dad to anybody. <laughs> right. Yeah. What do you want to know? Right. Well, yeah. Whether you like them or not, I'm going to tell yeah. you, it's like, yeah, I'll tell you, this is that. I disagree with my mom on here. I disagree with my dad on this, yeah. but it's like, but I know them mm-hmm. and they're real. So yeah. if you're struggling with talking about the Lord, mm-hmm. then I think one of the questions we have to ask is, is are you comfort, comfortable with yourself and your relationship with the Lord? Right. And before we try to even start talking about theology and things like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, this preparation for the diaconate. This is my third year, but we just started our third year. We Congratulations, Jim. Oh, is that a five-year it's, program? It's a six-year program. So you can congratulate me in four more years. But uh, <laughs> but thank you. I appreciate it. I'll take your prayers uh, if you have a couple extra. And and it's a great group of guys. And I think the one area, I mean, we, we, we're, we're, we're doing a, a master's degree in theology as part of the diaconate, which I'm really glad about because um, I'm learning so much more about the depth of our faith. And if you're going to be a deacon, you're going to get all kinds of questions. So I I want to be able to answer those intelligently, or at least know where I can find the answers, right? But I think the one area of growth for me that uh, the single biggest area of growth has been my prayer life. So everything else that we talk about, when we talk about a relationship with Christ, when we talk about expressing that to other people, if you don't have a good prayer life, if you're not talking to them on a regular basis, it's going to be really hard because that is what on a, on a tough day, on a tough week, gives me strength at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, when I say my morning and evening prayers. And I'm lucky to do that, you know, oftentimes with my wife, which is a great experience for us as a couple. That's something that we've been able to share together. But that provides the foundation for all of these things that we're trying to do. So, you know, my advice would be read the book, but also combine that with real prayer and discernment. And you've got some great questions at the end of each chapter and some ways of kind of challenging us to think about those questions and and think about the material that you present. Thanks, Jim. I tried to write the book with what I call Conde words, small (laughs) words, (laughs) nothing too complicated. (laughs) Chapters like three or four pages long. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. No, it's great. It's an easy read. I, I think it's an easy read. I'm, I'm by no means an intellectual. I, I, I love it because uh, so many practical stories and you're a good storyteller. You really are. I, I think also, I mean, for our colleagues who might be listening to this and you get a few from different dioceses, it's a great gift for your donors. Uh, I would say, you know, when you talk about the heart of the mission, uh, that, that leads to stewardship. 
right? I mean, this is, it, it seems like it would just really stem into so many good conversations about discipleship and stewardship. The heart of the mission is what grows giving and giving in stewardship. So good stuff. Good Thank stuff. You, Before I let you go, and I know we're, we're running a little bit short on time, but tell us a little bit about what's new in the Diocese of Phoenix and with Bishop Olmsted. Bishop Olmsted's awesome. He's yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love him very dearly. You know, I, I, w- I would say that um, this pandemic has really affected our diocese in a positive way with the people within the pastoral center serving in ministry. I feel like we've come together, Jim, and mm-hmm. I feel like we've we've cried together. I feel like that we've laughed together. I feel like we're in mission together. I feel like we're all in sync. It's been, it's been good, you know, um, as far as, as anything new. It's I, I would say really the only newness has been us getting through the pandemic. Sure, <laughs> pandemic <actually, yeah. laughs> as unscathed as we as we can. It's been good with colleagues. I would just say Bishop Olmstead has been um, wonderful to our family. You know, I came down with COVID about a month ago in January. Oh, did you? And my my whole family ended up, and it was it was a quite an experience. I'll just share with you. But you know what? What I remember most about that, although it it was it certainly wasn't fun, I remember the outpouring of love from the people that I work with and the community. You know, I was talking to somebody just before you, um, Jim, on the phone, and we were uh, we were talking about it, and they said, "Kindly, how, how did you go to the grocery store?" I was like, "I didn't have to." I mean, people brought over so much food that. <laughs> I had to tell them to stop because we had too much food. That's great. Um, I mean, like the outpouring of love. I mean, like, I'll never forget that, Jim. For yeah. the rest of my life, I will never, ever, ever forget that. Um, I've never experienced that for our whole family. People calling us and checking on us. Are you okay? So mm-hmm. Diocese of Phoenix has been good. Thank thank God. Um, we, we have a great team out here. and uh, That's beautiful. We experienced the same thing. We caught it in December. Fortunately, got through it well before the holidays. You know, the, we've seen, I think, the best come out in people also during this this uh, this whole pandemic. And I think it's brought out the best in us in many ways as a church, as a people, as a community. It's a great, great words to to end on. But kind of, I just want to thank you for being on the podcast today and, and just wish you the best of luck with all of your great work out in my hometown of the of Phoenix, Arizona. And I'm going to look you up next time I'm, I'm heading out there sometime in 2021. I need to get out and see my folks again. It's been a long time. And just best of luck with your book. We'll make sure we put um, links to where we can where you can find Conde or find his book uh, in the show notes of our of our episode. Thank you, Jim, and you're always welcome here. Thanks so much. All right, God bless. God bless you. I want to thank Conde for being on our show today and for sharing his faith and ministry with us. If you'd like more information about Conde or his book Heart of the Mission. I'll leave links in our show notes, and once again, to view the full video presentation of this podcast, please visit the show's episode page on advancingourchurch.com. Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and Apotisteri Studios for another great show. And if you'd like more information about our show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, and we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for over 21 years. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it for me, everybody. Have a great week. Take care, and God bless.